You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Greetings from Southern California. I have Father Tim Grumbach in studio with me. Today we'll be talking about a man who wants to have sex with underage girls. That's right. Also a former drag queen who is now fighting libraries to protect children from the sexual ideology and sexualization and really the scandalization of our children. We'll also be talking about what gamers are really seeking and how silence, getting a little more silence in your life can really transform your character, your soul, your spirit, your prayer life, your friendships. That and so much more on Trending Today. Father Tim Grumbach is the Associate Parish at St. Augustine's Parish in the Diocese of Los Angeles, spending so much of his time volunteering with various apostolates, including us here on Trending. Thanks for being with us. Like I say, it's always a joy to be here. And wow, the Holy Spirit is asking us to be a part of a real transformation of society, isn't he? And uh, it's got to happen from the inside out. And so we're being invited into all these uh, very strange places. I mean, strange conversations, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I introduced the show and I said, do I uh, yeah. give that as a teaser? And it is so scandalous. You know, I was just talking to someone the other day, like I need a detox from the terrible things I have to read. And I have to decide how much to share on air because there's one part of, well, where does this LGBTQ ideology go? And where is too far that we're just making ourselves feel sick as we study it? Right, right. And are we praying about it? Are we taking it into prayer? Not in the way that it's uh, become obsession and it's the only thing we're thinking about when we're in prayer, but is it distracting us from our actual relationship with God? Yeah. The same thing with all the issues in the church, the issues in society. Um, you know, we're, we're being invited into the issues, but not so that they become all consuming. Yeah. And the church calls us to be active in the political life and to speak theological truths and natural law into the lives of others and in fact into our laws which is why i want to start today by talking about this global campaign by the current administration of the white house to protect basically lgbtq rights i'm trying to think about how to say it and father tim really touched on this here's where the problem is they're working on this global campaign in areas that are not friendly toward basically same-sex activity and instead of and you said this before the show instead of prohibiting injustices done let's say where there might be forced hormone replacement therapy there might even be execution or imprisonment for having an attraction instead they're endorsing a life style which you know there's a big difference between what in fact i think our church speaks out against and that is the violation of freedoms and forced activity of the terrible things like forcing someone to go through hormone replacement therapy of forcing someone uh into imprisonment for having an attraction that they um are struggling with Mm -hmm. because we're looking at a tweet from the white house uh, confirming what seems to be affirmative support for protection of human rights for the LGBT community throughout the world internationally. And what is beginning as 
condemnation of certain actions against uh, the the community, the LGBT community, seems to be going in the direction of endorsing the actions of the LGBT community. And we as a church will most certainly, you know, right in the heart of our teaching from the catechism says, you know, we must respect people who experience same-sex attraction and treat them with dignity, the dignity that they have not lost, that there's no way that they could lose because they're beloved sons and daughters of God which means protecting them from execution, from, you know, this, you know, forced uh, hormone replacements from, you know, all these other things uh, from imprisonment for sexual acts, actions. But that doesn't mean we should be endorsing those sexual actions. And it seems that that's the direction that the White House might be going. Yeah, it feels like, in fact, that the White House is protecting gay sex. Like, let's just be blunt in this endorsement of Pride Month, uh, an endorsement of that type of lifestyle. That's what you're endorsing. And we're talking about some really provocative stories later on. In fact, one man who wants to have, that's right, I said it, sex with underage girls. And I've been kind of making a joke, but at the same time, encouraging you to listen to that story remember of the one man who is asking all those different Mm -hmm. um, waxing parlors or women to wax his genitals and they're refusing and he's taking them to court we'll be talking about how this ties into the whole issue but here's a question at hand is this a human rights issue to protect gay sex. It is a human rights issue if people are being forced, as we said earlier, into hormone therapy, imprisonment, imprisonment, or being executed for attractions. But is it a human rights issue to protect a gay sex? And this is where we have to look at what is good for the soul and the body. The soul and the body are not separate. And what is coming from that community themselves? And this is where the church's teaching is misunderstood and it must be repeated over and over again is what do we mean when we use the word homosexual and the catechism is pretty consistent. Unfortunately, it seems a little inconsistent in one line in the teaching about homosexual uh, actions and those who experience same-sex attractions is that homosexual, the adjective, the word itself, the term refers to the actions and even the inclinations, but not to the people themselves. And to protect the dignity of the human person and to understand that their identity goes much deeper. Our identity goes much deeper than our attractions and our inclinations that we are not to be described by that adjective, uh, but the actions are. Mm-hmm. And the Catholic Church would then teach that you know we're, we're not protecting these actions. We're, we want to protect the people. And when the uh, same-sex attraction and the actions themselves lead to these grave consequences in other countries, and you know honestly, we we have to also look at the heart of our own country and see how people are treated. Are they treated with the the respect and the dignity that they deserve? But are we protecting people or are we protecting actions? And that's where the, the church is, you know, must be much clearer on how we teach the difference between uh, identity and action. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. I keep asking this question, is the promotion of Pride Month and protecting gay sex a human rights issue? Well, in fact, the global campaign by the White House is talking about how, well, we need to look at international law. Well, our dear friends over at CFAM, which is um, part of the Catholic outreach to the United Nations, uh, basically they're talking about how international law in this realm essentially protects sexual autonomy but within this specific context listen up because this is important 
The current international law protects equal rights of men and women to marry and found a family. So the current international law is saying men and women need to have equal rights to be free to marry and start a family. Now, this is something that the Catholic Church has had a huge say in over the years. In fact, if it weren't for the Catholic Church, we would not have things such as the freedom and consent to marry that really revolutionized family life in the world. Right. It was revolutionary at the beginning of the church when you know women were being forced into the marriage. The Catholic Church, you know, in their in her teaching and in the faith of these women could say, no, that's you, you can't force this marriage. And so that's the beauty of the one of the beauty beautiful things of the sacrament of matrimony. Um, I'm really excited. I just had a wedding on Saturday. I've got another one tomorrow. And one of the most beautiful things is to walk this couple through their promises, the consent that they make. And we ask them in different words, but we ask them this, the same four characteristics and elements of what makes truly Christocentric love in marriage. And it comes from humana vitae. And it's the, you know, is your love fruitful, faithful, total, and free, free, total, faithful, fruitful. And we ask those questions, you know, do you come here wholeheartedly, you know, or do you come here totally? And do you come here with a free heart? Do you come here uh, promising to, you know, uh, receive God's gift of children? Do you come here, you know, with, with the love of the cross? And when we lose sight of that is the kind of love that marriage is called to, then we, we lose sight of the whole purpose of marriage in the first place. And we find ourselves pretty much where we're at, I think. So when we look at the question of, is this a human rights issue? Well, law should always promote natural law. It should uphold absolute moral truths. And so currently the international law is upholding that freedom of men and women to marry. It's protecting them to found a family and that really no government also can infringe on your freedom to marry who you want and to start a family. But why are we using that in some ways to promote gay sex, essentially? Well, what we look at and what the church teaches, it's very clear, as Father Tim said earlier, that the church is against same-sex activity, not the attraction itself, because a person cannot help an attraction. They can only help how they live out on it. Yet we live in a time, even in the Catholic Church, where people want to say, well, you were made that way. Well, God doesn't make you to sin. God equips you with all of the the gifts and resources and people necessary actually to battle sin. It's whether or not we're willing to cooperate in his truth and recognize, I mean, even things such as, you know, people who engage in gay sex are at a much higher risk for sexually transmitted diseases because the body parts don't work that way. Anal and oral engagement is showing incredibly deadly, in fact, risks with HIV, AIDS, and other STDs. Yeah, I want to go back to especially that yeah, that point that um, those who experience same-sex attraction are capable of sainthood. And I don't think that you know the LGBT community hears that enough from the church, um, but that it requires a cooperation with the grace that God gives us in, in all of our relationships and all of our attractions. And that's one of the most beautiful parts, again, of the church's teaching in the catechism on those who experience same-sex attraction is that they can through prayer through uniting their sufferings to the cross and i you know the language of disinterested friendship not that you know f friendships that is more that are more boring than romantic relationships but friendship that it actually takes on that 
loving the other, uh, willing the good of the other as other is that I'm not interested in what you can give to me. I'm interested in you as a beloved son or daughter of God. And so through prayer, through grace, through these disinterested friendships, a, someone who experiences same sex attraction can reach Christian perfection. That's the language that's used in other words, sainthood, but it requires a cooperation with all of these things. And it's not something that one can do by themselves. And it's not just someone who's experiencing same sex attraction, but it's all of us. We all have barriers in our lives. We all have tendencies to sin. Maybe even people in our lives that are challenging our holiness in a not positive way, but they're tempting and they're leading us down a path of sin. We are called to root out sin from our lives and the catechism. I mean, if you have never cracked open that catechism of the Catholic church and read it, meditated on it. There is so much profound truth and insight teaching you. In fact, the whole last quarter of the catechism is teaching you how to pray and how to develop that deeper relationship with God. It is such a gift. And I want to challenge people that whatever that hindrance may be, and I think that maybe maybe that's a gift of this time that God's allowing us to enter into. We see this challenge of same-sex attraction and we have this justification. Well, if they love you, each other well if it's what they want well what if you love some type of sin that's disordered and not good for you should we just justify it or should we call you to a life of conversion so what sin are you justifying what disordered love are you following that's harmful for your soul Mm -hmm, right and the rallying cry these days is love is love and love wins and i don't know if i've been able to uh, hear a a, you know a, a really profound and deep Uh, interpretation or definition of what love is in that context and because it will often come out as well this person makes me feel this certain way and it almost always comes back to um, even the ability to give oneself to another person you know know, c.s lewis distinguishes between need love and and gift love you know need love like i need the attention of this other person but also gift love is i want to give myself to the other person but even that can be twisted and tempted into something where it's you know i need this person to need me I mean, this ties in even to the conversation we had earlier this week. If you're listening to the show, um, we're talking about how right now people are struggling with developing in the way they love and receive love from an adolescent love to an adult love and how there are certain stages that need to occur in that development. And really, we went go from an egocentric or we could also say receptive type of love of a child to sharing in that love to suddenly taking on the responsibility of loving another. I mean, this is why St. John Paul the Great's work as Carol Vote before he became Pope of love and responsibility emphasized that true love as father Tim has said is willing the good of the other taking on that that responsibility and pulling myself away from the center only being the only center nucleus of that relationship yeah one of the deepest insights in all of Cardinal Wojtyla's work you know later on Saint John Paul II is that very title love and responsibility is that you know with the ability to love as god loves comes a tremendous responsibility is that we're not just imitating god's love we're actually participating in it and that is most profoundly expressed in the love between husband and wife that brings new life into this world is you know it's not just an example it's an actual participation in that life and with that comes a tremendous responsibility and we are looking at a a culture and a society that you know maybe generation by generation abdicates that responsibility and we have been given tremendous responsibility as created in the image and likeness of god not just to say 
oh no, you're, you're good the way that you're created. Yes, that is true. But you also have a responsibility that comes with that. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve are in the garden, they are described as a priestly people who receive the praises of all creation and offer it back to God. But what happens in the original sin is they grasp for who God is and what he is on their own terms and not his own. And so they've given away their responsibility, their dignity to something less than God. We have given our vocation as image bearers of the good creator God to the creation and worship the creator rather than worship the creation rather than the creator. And how do we get that back? Well, We'll be talking about it a little later. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, how is materialism, how is noise right. dictated your life? We'll be talking about silence later on and those distractions that we choose and we seek after, we run after because we're avoiding this spiritual and physical maturation that needs to take place. You know, when we talk about this journey of the LGBTQ community. Well, what's the problem? The problem with the global campaign by the White House to essentially protect gay sex is that where does this lead? One story we've been talking about over the last year has been this man who is uh, legal, who legally sought to punish 16 different women who he wanted to wax them because he quote unquote identifies as a woman and he wants basically sexual affirmation through genital waxing. And I'm sorry, but the ladies don't want to handle him. They've said, no, thank you. And I mean, the story goes on. You've heard it. We've been talking about it on the show really over a year now. So this uh, man, Jonathan Yanni, who uh, claims he's a woman and so forth, he actually was engaging with a 14 year old girl in sexually inappropriate conversation. Her name is Jessica Rampella and she's actually spoken up and shared documentation. She pushed back about his requests and questions and conversation. In fact, this man, Jonathan Yanni was twice her age, more than twice her age. And she also, the girl knew of other, even younger girls that this man was trying to engage in sexually inappropriate conversations. He even tried to host a topless swim party for minors. I mean, this man just goes too far. He goes into women's restrooms. And yet this is the type of gay pride that people are trying to protect. Mm -hmm. And it's violating really the minds and bodies and souls of children. And he's even described himself as a, a lesbian, I believe. And so that he could be, uh, you know, identify himself as a woman who is attracted to other women so he, that he can be uh, really a, a man who identifies as a woman, but still be attracted to women. And so the, the language still is being used in a, in a powerful and dangerous way. And, you know, going back to that story about, uh, you know, desiring that, that, that women, you know, uh, wax him in that way and, and, and their uh, fight back against that. And, you know, I, I've heard him on uh, radio interviews before, and it, it seems impossible for him to have a real civil and uh, reasonable discussion about this while he's always, uh, um, concerned for his own rights. He doesn't seem too concerned about the rights of the people that, you know, he's trying to force this upon. I mean, come on, people. If you can't look at this, you know what this man does? He runs a tech consulting business that reviews sex toys. I mean, if you cannot say that when we take sex out of the context of be being between a man and a woman, for, yes, the pleasure and unity of the man and the woman, but also for creating human life, 
that we're not violating and creating this mindset that harms children, tries to have children involved in topless swim parties, tries to force women to touch them, that then insists on talking about sex stories. Like, this is how far this goes. And we have the testimony of Joseph Chiambra, Daniel Matson, and many other men and women who've left this lifestyle talking about how perverted it can become and often is. Yeah, so we're looking at a, a real amount of brokenness uh, in this person. And uh, if these stories, if we really engage with these stories, you know, the ways that I think they're meant to be engaged with, it's going to uh, kind of convict our own hearts of, you know, what, what, where do we need healing and how can we bring healing to a, a culture that looks at this? And, you know, some of the culture will say, well, this makes sense, you know, defend his rights. And the other side of the culture will say, no, this is utterly ridiculous. Where's, where's it convicting our hearts? I think that's a really important question to to look at in in how we're relating to one another, how we're uh, you know defending the rights that are <laughs> that need to be defended, mm-hmm. while you know also speaking out very clearly about the dignity of the human person and the beauty of human sexuality that that God has created. God has created male and female without looking at that scripture and just saying, "Oh, that's from a, a time past that didn't understand the complexity that we somehow understand now that they didn't at that time." And so we try to talk about eternal principles with trending conversations here in the church is eternal. It's true. And I'm sorry, I get worked up by this man <laughs> makes me so angry because he's hurting people. And this is why this young girl, Jonathan, uh, sorry, Je- Jessica Rumpel was willing to share and document what's been going on. But there's good news. And here's, you know, an incredible story. There's a man by the name of Kevin Witt who formerly for 20 years in Texas acted as a drag queen, uh, performing, engaging with some of the top drag performers in the nation. He said, you know, all of these library reading readings where they're bringing drag queens on, all of the interviews with these drag queens, he said, I performed with them. I know them. And he is now having turned from that life five years ago. And he says that he was freed by Jesus Christ and his life is now advocating to protect young children from this rampant sexualization and forced ideology that is pressuring young children in terrible ways. And one of the most terrible ways is looking at the the past of some of these drag queens coming to these libraries and seeing the way that they're, they've been involved with young children. Some of them convicted, I believe, um, Let's turn the table in a strange way right now. A, a a Catholic priest is convicted of something like this. Are you going to bring him into you know the library to read stories to children? No, you're not. I'm I'm not trying to equate the two. I'm not trying to you know play a victim as a Catholic priest here. But let's let's at least be consistent in that much. Why why are we bringing men who've done these things to children to? not just be around children, but to form them by telling them stories, by passing down culture and tradition in, you know, because that's what's happening. When we tell stories, we pass on culture and tradition. And, you know, we have a culture that distrusts Catholic priests, but trusts drag queens. I, I don't know where to go with that. And, you know, the whole situation, you know, I appreciate that you turned it on its back. Like, would we allow this? We need to punish anyone who is engaging in sexual misconduct and scandalization. This is why it's so important that we uphold that our priests teach what the church teaches. And this is why we individually need to stand on the solid foundation ground of the church and understand Well, why can we respond and say that 
gay sex shouldn't be protected as a human right. Why can we respond and say that this man is in a tremendous amount of mental anguish and agony and shouldn't be engaging with these girls? And why can we tell the story of Kevin Witt, who, by the way, his story's coming out, how God saved the queen. And how incredible is that? A man who for 20 years was a drag queen has been liberated from that and is now fighting to protect young minds. Like, Thank God. This is what we need. We need people to share their stories, to speak up. And even if you don't have a story like this, even if you don't have children that you're worried about, I don't have children yet. Yet this has been something that we are called as Christians to confront in our time. It's the modern day heresy, as one priest said it the other day. If it were you know, 200 years ago, we'd be calling this sexual ideology a heresy. Right. It's a misunderstanding of, uh, of a truly Christian anthropology. A, the, a theology of the body, the way that God has created us. And the, the church's teaching on it is so beautiful and so misunderstood of you know God creating man, male, and female, and this complementarity, which has the ability to bring new life into this world. And it's been counterfeited. You know, and, and one could say that that is uh, perhaps the work of the devil who cannot create anything on his own. He can only counterfeit the good things that God has created. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to head over to radiotrending.com. I know these are tough issues, but we need to be willing to engage on them. You know, as we have this global campaign to protect uh, gay sex, as we have, you know, libraries that are engaging in this issue, we need to be willing to speak up and help people be equipped to discuss these issues as well. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. Father Tim Grumbach is in the house from Los Angeles Diocese, working at St. Augustine Parish and working with many other apostolates throughout the diocese. Uh, man, the last segment was a little heavy. We were really diving in there, but this whole issue, we need to be willing to jump into a little bit more. Uh, on today's show, we're talking today really about this idea of freedom. We're talking about how that applies to sexuality earlier. We'll be talking about silence and how to implement silence and how really this dictatorship is noise, as Cardinal Seurat refers to it, uh, is really damaging our lives in so many ways. And if only we could pull back. I want to talk now about this article. We've been walking through some of the articles from the Humanum Review. Um, incredible pieces. This one's by Carl McMillan, and he's talking about what gamers are really after. Right, and we're looking really in the past segment and so at the symptoms of a very broken society. And we'll continue to see the symptoms and see a little bit more what's at the root of it. And we see it as this misunderstanding of relationship, what relationship is for, how do we form it, how do we mature in it, and ultimately, how does it unite us to God and so to one another? And so while we're looking at the symptoms, let's not forget to look at the root and the how to resolve that. So this article is really a review of the book and also turned into a movie, Ready Player One by Ernest Klink. Is that his correct name? I think Ernest Klink. And the book really documents the life um, of a young boy who basically avoids relationships, 
um, you know, much the story of so many people who are in the gaming world who also avoid relationships, drop out of school, work, underperform. Uh, you know, I was reading a story recently of one man who chose to drop down to working only 30 hours a week and take a pay cut because he'd rather have the extra 10 plus hours a week to play more video games. And so essentially in the story, there's a virtual reality called the Oasis where the main character Wade seeks to go. He uses it really essentially as a distraction from the real world where the real world to him is considered to be this distraction that he just has to deal with in order to get into the Oasis, that virtual reality. Yeah, it's a fascinating story because the real world is very broken in in this story about Ready, Ready Player One. And it's so broken that the entire world has run to the oasis, has run to this virtual world in order to escape from this dystopia. The economy has collapsed. The, you know, even, even the nicest housing in the world, it's, it's almost little more than slums. And so everybody has found their way into this virtual reality, into this oasis in order to escape. And that's you know, not too far from what we're looking at in the way that some people tra- treat video games and the online culture right now. Social media. Yeah, yeah. So we have to ask the question, does our technology use help us grow in virtue or is it helping us to escape from the ability to grow in virtue in the real world? Well, it's interesting because it talks about how the game allows people to have a sense of purpose mm-hmm. to create their own heroes or be their own heroes. And in a sense, we could compare it to the online community and even social media, as you say. It gives you a sense of purpose. Well, I have to post this thing. I, I mm-hmm. feel like a hero or I feel good about myself. I suddenly have this social standing and I feel accomplished based on the number of likes and comments I receive. You know, Similar to that gaming world, essentially we're looking for that affirmation that should be gained through human relationships. Yeah, and there are some real communities that form over social media, over online gaming. And I think that they can be helpful for certain relationships. They can be helpful for certain people who find it very difficult to relate to others in what we would call real life. And yet the temptation will always be there online and over social media to create your own persona. So you know that goes both ways is that you only let someone see the parts of you that you want them to see, but you also don't really get to share yourself with that other person. You know, Father Tim, that's where I think really, and this is what I say, you know, tying this in a sense into online dating in a sense, you know, if we're going to build new relationships through social media or online dating, I think these are all great things, but they should be introductions. They shouldn't be where the relationship lives. You know, people Mm -hmm. have this hang up about online dating. It's not online dating. We need to refer to it as online introduction because ultimately all relationships are oriented to in-person engagement. And sometimes it can be hard to meet people with similar interests in the same areas that you're in. Uh, And so I think that that really stands out that even if you're trying to maintain friendship, sure, post those family photos and updates of life, but don't take yourself into the virtual reality the way Wade does into the Oasis. Right. And, you know, maintaining, I think that's a good word, maintaining these relationships. It's almost like you just survive in these relationships by sharing these photos, by sharing the surface, sharing what you want to share. But there's something that has to happen in a relationship is, you know, a, a mutual growth and a mutual sharing of intimacy. The, the movie just came out, I think it was last year. And when I saw it, just right from the moment that I saw it, there was this one scene that struck me. 
And uh, I, I think about it a lot is that, you know, uh, you have uh, Wade Watts, who's the main character in the story, and his online persona is uh, Parseval. And he's one of the, you know, one of the great video game players, one of the great characters in the Oasis. And he and a, you know, someone who's becoming a friend of his, but it's almost kind of like a rival. It's this girl that she likes uh, who goes by the name of Artemis. And he doesn't know anything about, else about her, but he's fallen in love with her, he's, he thinks because of how great she is at this game and wa you know, wants to get to know her, but he's like convinced, I love her, I love her. And so there's a moment in the movie where they meet and they kind of protect each other and they save each other, um, but they don't know anything else about each other. And Parseval looks at Artemis, you know, they're in the middle of the game and he says, I love you. And she's taken aback. And she says, you only know what I want you to know about me. And you only see what I want you to see. And that's what you love. You don't know anything about me. And I was struck by that because that's not only how we interact sometimes or the temptation to interact over social media on these online platforms is that I'm only going to let you see what I want you to see. And, you know, nothing about me that I don't want people to see is going to make its way out there. The, the messiness that comes with intimacy is not going to happen unless I choose to let it happen. So the real temptation is to let that creep into what we'll call real life. You know, aside from the online platform, aside from social media, is that we begin to you know want control over these relationships. And one of the beautiful things about you know this story, both in the book and in the movie, is that these characters meet each other in real life, and they realize how damaging that control is mm -hmm. in their online personas. And then they have to face the reality of vulnerability and relationship, and find that that's far more rewarding than all of the awards, recognition, affirmation, success that they can have within the Oasis. That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Timory. Father Tim, you know when you're talking about that, what stood out to me is that Wade really fell in love with the girl's accomplishments and mm -hmm. with this caricature that she created of herself. You know, it's ironic that in a lot of games, you know, you can actually design what your character looks like or mm -hmm. choose something mm -hmm. that looks nothing like you. In reality, we're doing the same thing on social media sometimes with all these filters, or maybe you're a person who doesn't even put up a real photo of mm -hmm. yourself. And I oh, the anons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but all of this ties into we're searching for something, and that's that deep, deeper level of connection. Even in the story, in the movie, Ready Player One, in the book, um, Wade discovers that, in fact, meeting in person allowed for deeper connections. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is so much of the story of today's time, that if we were to engage with real people day in and day out, not that they're not real on social media, but the actual person, the vulnerabilities. I mean, think about it. Communication is predominantly body language, not mm -hmm. just the words we speak. Think about how much social cue and even pain and joy we're missing in communication. And recognizing too, that Wade fell in love with Artemis's accomplishments and her successes and everything like that. And we, we might do the same and we see it especially in the research being done about social media use and online platforms is what kind of affirmation do we receive and what does that do literally to our you know our, rece our reception of dopamine in our brain and the, the the pleasure centers in our brain and becoming obsessed and even literally addicted to these dopamine rushes that come with being affirmed online so that we're not focusing so much on who this other person is as what they can do for me and again this creeps into our daily face-to-face -face relationships too, if it becomes the only way we know how to relate that we've learned from social media and online platforms. And Cardinal Chaput has kind of weighed in on this crisis of the culture as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and 
uh, especially in the midst of all the great tragedies and violence that we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks uh, here in the United States, especially. And he says, you know, we, we have some solutions that are being thrown out there and uh, they're, they're coming to a head and with you know almost violent rhetoric, you know, one side against another. But it's so focused on what to do with the surface problem without looking at the root of this. And, you know, he points to, you know, the root of this is a, a culture that misunderstands sexuality that allows, uh, you know, for, for us to take the life of the most defenseless. And the, it's a misunderstanding of the human person, of human relationship, and not just, you know, looking at God as an example, but as a life that we participate in. And so if, if we're living in a society that cannot speak about God, therefore cannot speak about sin and redemption, then no wonder we're seeing the violence that we're seeing where the human lives are taken with impunity and almost we see it in the news and the next week we've forgotten about it in a sense. And it's not affecting our lives to watch this violence. So a, a culture that so promotes violence, not just in entertainment, but in policy, of course we're seeing more and more violence and we don't know what to do about it except try to handle the symptoms. And again, it, he goes into the difference between symptom and root and how we've got to root out the problem of violence instead of just deal with the symptoms. When we live in a culture that focuses on how every person is replaceable, interchangeable. Mm -hmm. uh, and so as mass shootings occur and this violence or even abortion, whatever it might be, you know, building on what what uh, Cardinal Chaput was saying, you know, we really see that I think we do believe, well, you're just replaceable. You're interchangeable. There's nothing special about you. Yet that's what's at the heart of this entire issue. People needing to recognize yet again their unconditional love and that they are loved unconditionally by God the Father, despite any background or experience that they have come from. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. That's Father Tim Grumbach in studio with us. I guess you can't see him unless you're joining us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube to see these crazy hosts and what they look like. Father Tim, again, is the associate pastor at St. Augustine Parish in the Los Angeles Diocese. This segment, I really want to focus on the topic of silence. Um, it's so important for creating silence in your life in order just to pause and pray in the morning or in the evening or creating silence in your mind of that constant chatter just to be present at mass or be present in your relationships. Uh, the reality is, is that we live in a time that is so distracted. Uh, Cardinal Seurat and the dictatorship of noise. Um, that's the subtitle. The, the power of silence. Power of yes. silence. I'm reading this finally. You know, I picked it up over the last couple of years. It's been sitting on my shelf. Haven't read it through. But he talks about how images and sounds are, are so distracting and prevent us from entering into that silence. Yeah, that's one of the favorite books that I've read over the last couple of years is Cardinal Seurat's book on silence because it's a real challenging image of God, that, that God dwells in silence. But he goes back to the great, some of the greatest saints, St. Saint John of the Cross, who says the, the language that God understands best is silent love. And th so this image of uh, a heavenly silence. And just from the very beginning, the first, you know, the introduction of the book, you know, I, I've read that probably 10 times, the introduction, because so it tells good. the story of Cardinal Seurat, who is this figure at, at the heights of the hierarchy of the church. 
he is the prefect for the congregation of divine worship and the sacraments. And so he is one of the highest, you know, if, if that's what you want to consider it, one of the highest spots in the church, but he developed a relationship with a young monk in France who was dying of uh, multiple sclerosis, who, you know, by the time that he had met this brother, Vincent, brother Vincent had already lost the capability of speech and he was, you know, paralyzed and, and could not get out of his bed, but they developed a relationship, a friendship in silence and over much suffering and prayer, Cardinal Seurat recognized that we don't know why God has invited brother Vincent into this suffering, but we do know that in the midst of the suffering, he's invited him into a, a, a foretaste of the silence of heaven. And the book just goes from there. And Cardinal Seurat's uh, own experience of prayer and especially a visit to the, the Grand Chartreuse in, in France, I believe it is. The beautiful home of the monks is just living in utter silence. Their, their life mm-hmm. is silence. It's a foretaste of heaven. It's not a running away from the earth. It's a running towards heaven. And so the, the entire book is a beautiful reflection on silence. You know, and what do we need to do in our own lives to allow that silence to reign? Because I love the subtitle of his book, talking about the dictatorship of noise. Mm-hmm. You know, I even think about all the memes. You know, I hate it. And I think that it's maybe because I remember I'll rewind a little bit. So in college, for me personally, silence became something that was really important to just maintain through, you know, a heavy academic course load and studying. You know, I would always sit in the car with no music or anything on. Um, I also found that it allowed if people were in the car with you for more conversation, less distraction. Um, It kind of forced people sometimes to talk and get comfortable with the uncomfortableness of the silence in the car. Um, I would, you know, really was so blessed to have perpetual access to our chapel on campus. And whether it was coming back into town or driving by, you know, always having the opportunity to run to the sacrament and be present there in the chapel. And I have to say personally, it probably helped me through some of the most difficult times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I remember I was leaving the chapel when I got the phone call that uh, a really, really close family member had committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And I bring that up because I think apart from silence, We are not able to battle the sorrow in our life, even comprehend the joy or the changes. Silence is what allows the human soul ultimately to be fashioned into what it's supposed to be. Right. And that means that the end of silence is not quiet, the absence of sound. In other words, the end of silence is not even the silence itself. Right. It's the ability to listen and to be present. And so we enter into silence, not just to be away from distraction, not just to be away from sound, but we enter into silence for a greater end. And that's communion. That's listening. That's being able to hear God. And we are so uncomfortable with silence. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about, there's this uh, song by uh, 21 Pilots called Car Radio. And the lyrics are great because he's just kind of singing, rapping about how someone stole his car radio. And he's like, I got to replace it because I can't stand the silence here, you know, he's just, you know, like I have these thoughts so often I ought to replace that slot with what I once bought because somebody stole my car radio and now I just sit in silence. And so the whole song is about how uncomfortable he is because uh, now I got to start thinking. And when I start thinking, I get awake. And when I get awake, I got to, I got to start thinking about what I love and what I don't love and, and what's wrong in my life and what's right. And the reality of silence striking him because someone stole his car radio. And it's a beautiful reflection on how difficult it is for us to sit in silence. And 
I think about how hungry we actually are for this silence. You know, just this past weekend, my husband and I went on, you know, a one night camping trip. And it was so incredible to see coming back the rest of the weekend. There's just this restfulness through the busyness of the weekend, everything that needed to be done. It's like you're at peace. You're allowed to enter into through that quiet, your own thoughts. And even, you know, battling, I think sometimes as women, we have this constant shattering and overthinking of things going on in our heads. If we really allow ourselves to enter into that silence and pull away from the technologies and whatever it might be, that constant shattering is able suddenly to reorganize and refocus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually out in Lancaster just yesterday morning leading a retreat for uh, the the teachers and the parish staff at a parish that I spent some time at a, a few years ago. And driving up the 14 up towards the Antelope Valley, I was like, I need some music, I need some music. But no, I needed to continue to... You know, put my thoughts together, but my instinct making that drive so many times I've made that drive was like, I need music to get through this long stretch of road up into the desert. But then I, I, I realized I didn't want silence because I was uncomfortable with it. Like I didn't want to have to think about, you know, the deep stuff that I was going to have to be sharing, you know, that morning. So I, I wanted to distract myself. And so we may not be distracting ourselves with bad things. It may be, it may even be like praise and worship music or, or even a great yeah, movie. Yeah. Yeah. But we've got to, be in touch and sensitive to the way that silence is trying to find its way into our lives. And God is trying to find his way into our lives through that silence and how, you know, honestly, sometimes, and this might sound weird, but sometimes even scripture, we can let become a distraction is God may be calling us to just silence with nothing in front of us, not not even reading anything, but we might treat scriptures like I need to, I need to memorize this. I need to, uh, I need to read, 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 instead of just sit in utter silence, you know, maybe read a, a sentence and there's a period there for a reason. So you stop and reflect on it. But even the good things that God has given to us can become distractions from the silence, which again is not the ends. It's merely a means to communion with God. So, you know, don't get me wrong. Reading scripture is not bad. When we look to the tradition of the saints, you know, what do they prescribe for holiness? What did they do day in and day out? That prayer in the morning and night. But so often they talked about that 30 minutes of prayer. You know, I belong to the community of St. John. I'm in, in the formation to be an oblate with them, which is like their third order. And they really focus on that daily silent prayer, not where, again, like Father Tim, you're saying, you know, reading a text, you know, maybe pondering a word or a sentence, but pausing because it is that silence. It is that silent prayer that refills us and allows us to stay in a state of contemplative prayer throughout the day with God in the midst of the noise we're surrounded by. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, it's, it's all about presence. It's about finding ourselves present and, and therefore finding God present. And at the end of the day, that's when I find silence most important. You know, ever since the beginning of seminary, we tried at our best, especially those first couple of years was to have a grand silence of sort beginning at 9 PM. And that's a practice I, I love to continue is, okay, 9 p.m., I'm, I'm off of social media. I'm, I'm not even listening to music as best I can. It's just the, the night has begun, which means it's, it's a time for prayer and it's a time for rest. And Car- Cardinal Seurat in The Power of Silence, he even mentions it in God or Nothing, the, the book before that, that the devil is almost most afraid of the prayer that happens at night because it's almost as if the world is trying to forget what it's done during the day during the night, like, like all the sinfulness of the world, it's trying to forget it. But there we are in vigil, in prayer, 
because that's a, a moment while the, the rest of the world is trying to sleep and maybe trying to forget the sins of the day. There we are going over how our day has been, where God has been with us, where he wanted to be with us, but we wouldn't let him. And it's only going to happen in silence. And if we're going into the end of the day and scrolling through other people's stories as we're falling asleep, then we're not making space for that silence. And we're, we're not making space for God who wants to be there with us at the end of the day and to give us that rest that only he can give. I would argue too that the beginning and end of the day, because I right. know person yeah. personally, my day is so frazzled if I allow the noise to enter in right now. And, you know, often that means like technology, social mm -hmm. media, you know, you have all the tasks getting ready, you know, cooking, whatever you might need to do in the morning, even just, you know, ideas like that cup of coffee or tea, taking a few moments to drink that mm -hmm. rather than rushing through so that you can gather yourself, pray, collect, you know, plan for that day. It allows you to have that beginning and end cap that we need. It's a real treasure. When Cardinal Seurat looks at the monks that he spent time with, he said, the only thing they own, the only thing, their only treasure in this world is the silence of heaven. And they've already entered into that now. And so we have an opportunity to dwell in that treasure and in that presence at the beginning and the end of every day. And, and little moments in between is recognize it as a treasure, not an absence. Father Tim Grumbach, where can people find you on social media? You can find me at Father Tim Grumbach on, on Twitter and on uh, Instagram these days. No more Father Daddy Wap, unfortunately, but I'm still on there. You can also find all episodes where Father Tim is with us at radiotrending.com. Just head over to the guest page and you will see many insightful thoughts where Father Tim joins us here on Trending. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 